once you've created these kind of correlated packages of highly significant data, then you need to make it actionable, right? And how do you make that actionable? You've got to take a step from correlation to causation. You need to figure out which of those items aren't just correlated with one another, but which of those items indicate events, state changes that have a causal relationship to one another. It seems that artificial intelligence and machine learning are topics that just keep creeping into all of our episodes these days. Well, maybe that's just indicative of how much these tools are already present in our lives. Now, in today's episode, I get to have a conversation with the CTO of Moogsoft, Will Capelli. Moogsoft's AI platform is used by some of the largest companies all around the world. And in our conversation, we really dig into the history of AI and how their platform is being used to help companies accelerate their transformation to that of being more agile and to delivering on DevOps. The line between application and infrastructure is virtually invisible in these modern apps. The kind of thing that a global computing fabric with immense resilience and scale can deliver without even breaking a sweat. That's really what the promise of the cloud's always been. It's all focused on the business objectives. That's where we craft the plan. In the tech world, we like to celebrate the lone genius, but I'm just going to tell you right now, they're just the convenient face as founders to focus on. Welcome to Cloud Talk. Here's your host, Jeff Deverter. Now, life sure was a lot easier back in the early days of computing. You know, you had some servers, you had a few VMs and some networking gear. You put some monitoring tools around that and some people to respond when it goes bump in the night. And, uh, you know, there you had a great service to provide to your business users. Well, the world of computing has absolutely changed. And to have a conversation with me today about that is Will Capelli. Will, I am so grateful that you're here today. You're with a little company called Moogsoft, but why don't you uh, introduce yourself? Well, thank you very much, Jeff, and I am very glad to be here today. Um, Yeah, sure. Well, uh, let me tell you a little bit about myself first, and and from that I'll launch into a little bit of a discussion of what Moogsoft is and what Moogsoft is all about. Um, For my sin, um, I've been involved in the IT industry for close to 25 years or so in various capacities, and uh, in the 15 years before I came to Moogsoft, which was indeed about two years ago, two and a half years ago, um, I was an analyst at Gartner um, and did a number of things in my time at Gartner, uh, but uh, probably uh, the two most significant things that I did at Gartner was, first of all, uh, around, I would say, 2007, 2006, 2007, uh, sort of discovered and um, outlined the structure of and, and developed partner coverage of the application performance monitoring market. Uh, and that was a very important development in, in the IT industry at that point in time, in the application performance market uh, in and of itself, because, of course, we were in the early stages of the digitalization of business. Um, And that, of course, really accelerated following the financial crash in late 2007, early 2008. And as businesses began to digitalize in that very, very kind of deep and serious way, 
um, applications really emerged as very, very, very prominent elements of the overall IT system because, of course, applications were precisely where business and IT interfaced. And in fact, applications were important in and of themselves, but they also served as a lens onto the underlying IT system. So being able to monitor what was happening at the application layer became fundamentally important, not only because you're monitoring that very, very crucial element which is actually delivering digital business services to your customer base, but it was also the place where all the rest of IT in some sense came together. So it was an incredibly strategic vantage point. Now, so so Will, that's a it's a killer it's a killer point that you're making right there, and not a lot of people kind of realize that that big change that happened in IT because you know IT providers you know um, even inside of an organization inside of the IT team, you know they said well here's your server and and the server works look here's all the memory here's all the things. Um, but ultimately what the business cared about was, does my application right. work? So it was that central point. It's a great way to put it, to draw both IT and the business together. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I mean, there were many aspects of it that were interesting in that you did have for many enterprises, uh, even, even, how shall I say, digitally very sophisticated enterprises, they had infrastructure experts doing kind of the monitoring and management of IT, and they had developers working on the applications. And there was, in fact, kind of this great gap, right? There was nobody actually monitoring and managing the application. So with the emergence of digital business and application performance monitoring, actually, it also created a new kind of organizational element within IT enterprises, which was basically the application operations team. So the, this market was very interesting because you had a, you, you know you basically had a new business problem, you had a new technology and in a sense a new community of buyers as well this application operations team. Now, this is all proceeding swimmingly for I would say, you know, maybe about uh, you know 5 uh, 6 years and uh, in fact we went through a couple of generations of application performance monitoring vendors. You had CA and IBM, the big four, uh, as they were called at that time, the main purveyors of APM technology. But then because of changes that were taking place and the nature of the applications that were being monitored, we saw they, that, that group of vendors increasingly fall by the wayside to be replaced by a new group of vendors Vendors like AppDynamics, New Relic, uh, Dynatrace was among them as, as well. That um, you know, whilst pretty much doing the same things that the uh, older vendors were doing in this space, developed new form factors, cloud-based form factors, uh, technologies that were much easier to deploy, more architecturally integrated. Right. So we actually went through a couple of stages. Uh, in the evolution of the APM market, but it remained very identifiably the APM market, and it, and it continues on to this day. However, in, I would say, around 2013, 2014, really becoming visible in 2015, uh, once again, uh, as an analyst at Gartner, dealing with, uh, you know, like something close to a thousand inquiries a year from uh, users of this technology, 
I began to notice that the applications themselves, of course, were evolving. They weren't these fairly simply architected albeit multi-tiered applications, increasingly applications were becoming a lot more modular, you know, built out of smaller and smaller components, you know, objects and microservices, containers, right? Uh, and they were becoming a lot more dynamic in the sense that their relate the, the relationships of the components to each other became, you know, was changing all the time. Uh, a lot more distributed, uh, you know, the actual components that made up the application somewhere in the cloud, somewhere on-premise, some, but some on-premise around the world, um, and also a lot more ephemeral, like the individual components were coming in and out of existence uh, with increasingly shorter time spans, and it was getting down to the microsecond level. And the ability of application performance monitoring technology, as it was historically conceived, right, basically this, this construct that would look at an application end-to-end -end by monitoring various strategic points within the application, whether it was the application server or, or the place where the end user was accessing the application, that, that whole method of seeing what was going on was beginning to become more and more marginalized as the simply architected applications were increasingly being replaced by uh, you know, highly modular microservice-based applications. And to add insult to injury, so to speak, we saw a significant transformation in development methodologies and development practices. And we saw a large-scale shift towards first, you know, agile development practices. And eventually that became kind of codified and extended and turned into a whole culture with its own supporting technology, uh, you know, with, with DevOps. Now, the consequence of all this was that effectively you were no longer looking at an application and infrastructure and network all with all pieces nice and neatly segregated from one another. You were looking at kind of like, you know, what, what, uh, like William James used to call consciousness, you know, like this bumming, booming, buzzing confusion of events taking place. And it became very clear that the, you know, those who wanted to monitor and manage what was going on could no longer take these kind of strategic points of access that application performance monitoring systems use to get a picture, but you had to, in some sense, go directly to the data itself, whether the data took the form of events or metrics or, or logs, and then look for patterns in that data. Because when you look at traditional APM systems, they tend to rely on pre-existing patterns. They might have a, a model of your system very frequently, they'll have some kind of application topology, they'll have rules, they'll have event structures, and they, learn about what's taking place by imposing these pre-existing structures on the data that they're picking up, right? But with these modern systems, things are changing so rapidly and the elements are so you know minute and they're so ephemeral that any pre-existing pattern isn't going to do it for you. So you need to be you need technology that's going to be able to, in some sense, reach out directly to the data itself and discover the patterns, many of which will be novel, just emerging at the point at which what is being, you know, at, at the point 
where what's taking place is being monitored and be able to articulate what those patterns are and deliver them to the uh, individuals that are trying to see what is taking place. So that's so super interesting because no, it's, a, it's just a great point to even just sort of park on for a second because not a lot of people realize that that was a challenge in their modernization of their development strategies. You know, they saw lots of other problems. They saw problems with tool chain. They saw problems with right. the right people and education. They saw problems with even how they organized as an organization to be more agile. I would imagine not many of them thought, how are we going to monitor this stuff after it's done? How are we going to make decisions about that stuff uh, once it's in place? And by the way, if you guys are going to change and deploy five or six or 20 times a day, how are we going to update the model to know what's going on? Exactly. And I think, you know, and and you've hit a, a, you know, on on an absolutely fundamental point, which is that, you know, in addition to just this out and out complexity, right, which would be an issue in any case, Precisely because of this commitment and this growing commitment to CICD, uh, you know, basically this kind of continuous flow of new functionality into the production environment, you're dealing with an environment that is in some sense purposely being driven towards continuous change, right? IT environments had always changed, right? And in my 25 years, so to speak, of looking at the industry and working in the industry, I mean, it was always said, I mean, it's it's almost trivial to say that the only constant is change. But the difference is that post, you know, I'd say that, you know, change was taking place between 2013 to 2015. By the time you got to 2015, you were driving continuous change into the environment with intent, right? So that makes that, and, and also the uh, the number and the granularity of the changes was also increasing as well. In any case, it be, you know, as I say, it became clear that although APM still had its uses, and of course these applications that were written. Uh, between 2005 and 2015, uh, we're continuing to do a lot of work. Um, so it still definitely had a role that for the newer applications that were emerging and for the interconnections between the existing applications and the newer functionalities that were becoming available, the classical APM technology was no longer fit for purpose, You know, let alone the monitoring technology that, that had preceded it, right? So what was fit for purpose? Now, another thing was taking place at the same time, right? And that was the commercialization of a development in AI technology. And I think it's, it's important to, to kind of keep in mind that AI as a discipline, as a type of technology has actually been with us since the beginning of computer science, right? I mean, Turing wrote a paper about AI after he wrote his paper about uh, kind of the basic structure of the computer. And it's a very, very interesting uh, paper in and of itself. And interestingly enough, just at the time that IT began to become a major business issue in the late 1950s, almost at the same time we saw the birth of AI as a discipline as well. I mean, taking some of Turing's ideas and really flattening them out and, and, and making them into, you know, a programming language and a development program, right? And since AI 
had been there as a kind of discipline, as, a, as an area of study, there have been a couple of eras in which there were major attempts to commercialize this technology. Uh, one took place in from the mid 80s to the late 80s at the kind of the, the, the last years of the Cold War. Uh, there was a massive effort to take this academic technology, so to speak, this artificial intelligence, and bring it to market, uh, primarily for military purposes, but also businesses were interested as well. And there was, uh, you know, effectively, you know, quite a quite a boom in AI technologies in the late 1980s. Uh, but two things: one, um, as soon as the Cold War ended, all of the funding got sucked out, and that industry collapsed. Secondly, uh, the AI that was commercialized at that time was AI that was fundamentally based upon the automation of logic, right? So you had logical structures. I mean, you know, for, for I you know, don't know, um, you know, what familiarity uh, our listeners might have with formal logic, but if you haven't had familiarity with formal logic, think of the way in which you learned how to do proofs and geometry in uh, high school. Um, you know, it's that kind of move, that kind of algorithm, if you want to think of it that way, that was captured by these AI systems that were commercialized. Expert systems are a really good example of this kind of AI. That technology got into the industry, it did survive. And in fact, actually, it made an impact on the monitoring and management software industry. Many of the early event management systems, many of the early uh, service desk platforms were basically expert systems. In fact, many of the creators of those technologies were refugees from this, um, this AI industry of the late, 19, uh, late 1980s. But in any case, I mean, that was logic-based. Now, getting to uh, logic and rule-based, getting to around 2013, 2015, uh, we saw another kind of AI that had, in some sense, grown up in the academic world alongside the logic-based AI, which was an AI based upon statistical analysis or pattern discovery. Uh, looking at large data sets and trying to, in an automated way, see the patterns. Neural networks, deep neural networks, which lots of people are interested in now, is essentially a subset of this kind of technology. So to kind of pull everything together, right, 2015, let's say, uh, uh, you've got APM technology beginning to not be able to provide the service that it had until that point, uh, just at that time, you have the beginnings of this commercialization of this AI that is based more on statistical analysis rather than logical analysis coming into the market. And um, there were a couple of vendors in the um IT enterprise management software market who had that kind of background that were beginning to notice the value of this kind of AI for monitoring for IT operations use cases in general. So at that point in time, you know, once again, 
uh, serving as an analyst at Gardner, you know, I made the prediction, let's say, that uh, this application of this kind of AI and the logic-based AI as well to IT operations, to monitoring, to all of these kinds of issues was going to become a very important feature of the market because it was only through the deployment of what amounts to kind of an automated cognitive enhancement for people that are monitoring and managing systems where you're going to be able to understand the behaviors of these very complex systems and be able to diagnose problems that occurred and kind of predict uh, uh, you know, outages or, or even predict incidents that, that might emerge in the future, the naked human eye and the naked human mind, so to speak, would not be able to do that. Uh, but accompanied by this kind of pattern discovery oriented, statistical analysis oriented AI, that would help situation. And I I think another, you know, dynamic that you put into this as well is when you think about the work that was done in the late 80s, pretty finite when you think about the the technology pool of data that it had to pull from. And now when you go, you know, think about what was happening in 13, 14, and 15. And, and, you know, this also coincides with really the rise in adoption of AWS, Azure, and Google from a hyperscale cloud perspective. And so now you have this tool set that, to your point earlier, your word earlier, ephemeral, these things can kind of come and go. In fact, we saw so many businesses just just come up that they call themselves you know being able to transform their these workloads to be cloud native That's and right. characteristics of cloud native are just that they're they're ephemeral they are just in time they they show up they go away even in some cases the data that they create is actioned upon and then discarded um, all creating and serving towards the whole and so you've got this ephemeral aspect but then you've got the scale that's actually yeah, happening that's as right. well that's right. No, no, no. I mean, you're a- absolutely right. I mean, I think that, uh, yeah, I, in talking about the drivers for that, you know, that increased complexity and all those features, you know, absolutely the 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 the, the emerging cloud centricity of a, a of IT uh, was, you know, an absolutely uh, kind of fundamental factor uh, in all of this. So, uh, and 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 also the point that you make, I think, that is is very fundamental is that. When AI was introduced to the market, and this is both in an IT operations context, in a general business context, and in a military context in the late 80s, it was about automating inference. The the issues were, how do I get from one uh, proposition to another? How do I make that easier? Now it's about automating the observation of data, which is, of course, related but it's it's a it's a different it's a different issue, and and you're absolutely right that one of the big factors is we just have so much more data to deal with. In fact, one of the last things I was doing at Gartner, and I and I continued this study, uh, this research uh, during my time at Moogsoft, uh, was trying to determine how rapidly the amount of self-descriptive data generated by IT systems was growing. Because, of course, it's self-descriptive data, whether it takes the form of metrics, logs, traces, event records, what have you, the self-descriptive data is the raw material that 
all kind of monitoring and observability technologies feed upon, right? And and that's 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 what we have to work with if we're going to manage the systems. And it turns out that, you know, at least with the research that I was working with and the models I was building, that the amount of self-descriptive data has increased by an order of magnitude every five years since the year 2000, right? Which, which means that, what it means to is we are now in a situation where floating about in the world, right, there is a gigabyte, that's a G-E-G-O-B-Y-T-E, of self-descriptive data, and that's like 10 with 27 zeros after it, right? It's a, it's a massive, massive amount of self-descriptive data, and furthermore, what's very, very important, uh, and, and this really does, you know, you know tie it to, to MoveSoft and one of MoveSoft's very central missions is that not only do you have that massive data that, that you have to deal with, but also that data is incredibly noisy, incredibly redundant to the point where, uh, and there, there are numbers on this as well, right? And you can show how this grows. Uh, but we're now at a point, we're dealing with this vast amount of data, but about 90% of that data is redundant or is just plain noise, right? So in order, so you just, you know, kind of, of course, you know, that's that's the, you know, the universe of this data, but still, uh, you know, it does amount to the fact that any individual or system that is trying to work with this self-descriptive data, once again, metrics, logs, traces, events, whatever, uh, that is being spewed forth by our IT system needs to spend a good amount of its time cutting through the redundancy and the noise before it can even get to a data set that is plausible to work with. And well, and, you, and it also assumes that there's just one chunk of data they're looking for when we know that it's usually peppered kind of throughout. Oh, and oh, so right. it truly oh, yeah, is. just like that. It doesn't, in fact, that's, <laughs> you bring up a great yeah. point. I mean, the, the, the valid data items don't carry a little flag and say, hey, I'm Here the I one. Am. Yeah, that's right. In fact, what you need, you know, a way of looking at it is that, um, you know, you before you can be, even begin to look for meaningful patterns in the data, you need to be able to, in an automated way, and once again, whether you're dealing with metrics, logs, traces, event records, what have you, you need to be able to flag, if you will, you know, those data items that are significant, those data items which are, in a very technical sense, high entropy data items, right? The data items that are not redundant, the data items that are not noisy, and then when you go to do further work, you make sure that you do grant special significance to these highly significant data items. Because if you, uh, if you unwittingly work with the redundant noisy data, well, you're going to have a, you're going to definitely have a Geigo situation, right? And, uh, you know, that is a major challenge it's, it's actually, it's a challenge for the application of AI to IT operations, AI. It's a, it's a challenge for AI in general. Uh, you know, how do you 
get to that point. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, so let's, you know, kind of tie it in a little bit more specifically in, in, so we set an amazing stage, a scary stage at, at that. And, um, and the challenge that exists bef- uh, before, you know, system operators uh, in trying to figure out how to make sure that that application really is delivering what it's supposed to be delivering. And how do they take all of that noisy data and start to turn it into something useful and manageable and actionable. And then there's the whole story around that we could get into around how do we now automate the actions. But, right, right. but there's so much work. Do we talk about things that, that you guys are doing specifically That's around? Right. First of all, let's strip out the noise. Second, now how do we take and enrich what we find with other data that we found right. uh, or with historical information or with predictive analysis, right. um, anomaly detection, correlation, custom uh, you know, integration of additional uh, content that, that – you know, we know to make available. I mean, you guys are doing some pretty uh, forward-thinking stuff there to really put that that needle in a haystack. Not just present the needle, but to augment the needle that's and right. then show how it can be used best. Yeah, no, no, that's right. In fact, you know, just to you know, to close the story, so to speak, and, and and to kind of underlay that, you know, I at at Gardner, as I said, I was looking at this market and saw it emerging and began to write about it, began to you know, you know, develop Gardner's coverage, and at the same time was looking at the vendors who were out there who were developing the technology in the way that I thought would be fruitful uh, for the market in general. And Moogsoft was certainly uh, you know, one of the vendors that, to me, had the most promising approach and believing that the market was going to become a very important market and, uh, you know, wanting to play a role in it, you know, in a different way than as an analyst, wanting to be a more, how shall I say, active participant in the market, not just observer of the market. I, I joined Mooksoft uh, for, for that reason. And the approach to Mooks, that a Mooksoft takes, I think, is is very, very much uh, what you played out so nicely. When we look at AI in the application to IT operations, uh, you know, we actually see it as having, uh, you know, five distinct components, which map pretty closely on to uh, the, uh, you know, some of the functionalities that you laid out. I mean, first of all, we think very, very fundamentally is that process of data selection. Of course, the data selection process is different depending upon whether the underlying data is, you know, telemetry-like, like metrics, or is more kind of event-like, like an event structure or a log. There are different selective procedures that you apply to the underlying data, just as the brain applies different selective procedures to the incoming signals it gets via the visual stream or the sound stream or what have you. So you have these different kinds of event, or, or excuse me, different kinds of data streams coming in, uh, all of which must eventually be processed, but the very first step is this data selection step. Once you've done that, once you've, uh, and this is reflected even in the architecture of our software, once you've taken that step of, of, of minimizing the noise or establishing what are the significant streams, once again, whether they're metrics, logs, event records, what have you, then you need to start, as you put it, to enrich it. And the first step in enrichment is to engage in correlation. You begin. You need to be able to identify which of those data items are in some sense pointing to a related set of 
ultimately state changes in your underlying system. And there are different ways of correlating. I mean, there's correlating on the basis of time, correlating on the basis of where things are taking place in a system topology. There's correlating on the basis of, in some sense, the content of the data. If you look at a log, if you look at an event record, uh, you know there is a semantic content to uh, those, those items, and you can correlate, and you should correlate data items based on that semantic content as well. These are all different ways of bringing the data together, but that's not all. And you also brought up this point earlier. Once you created these kind of correlated packages of highly significant data, then you need to make it actionable, right? And how do you make that actionable? Well, this is something that we all learned when we took kind of basic statistics. You know, you've got to take, you've got to take a step from correlation to causation, right? You need to figure out which of those items aren't just cor- correlated with one another, but which of those items indicate events, state changes, that have a causal relationship to one another. And, you know, it's interesting when I talk with, with many of our, you know, customers and when I talk with the market in general, you know, sometimes people will tend to think that, you know, causation is just very, very good correlation, right? You know, you've got a correlation and that's like a first pass. Then we'll correlate some more and, and make it really good. Truth of the matter is, is that, uh, to go from correlation to causation, you need a different kind of reasoning, a completely different kind of algorithm, right? And 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 in the MOOCsoft platform, we do supply, you know, in addition to many different kinds of correlation algorithms, like the ones I was talking about, we also supply causation algorithms and a number mm. of different types of that. Once you've got the causation settled, so now you're dealing with, you know, with with um, causally analyzed, correlated, you know, sets of data, now you've got to kind of take the next step, you know, like you were talking about, you need to take the action on the data itself. And that typically involves bringing together the right team, uh, the right resources that you're going to need. So there's a set of collaborative algorithms that become very, very critical. And then finally, once you've got the right teams assembled, you've got the situations that you're trying to deal with front and center, then, you know, then you want to set the robots to work. Then you want to actually kind of as far as you can uh, and with whatever degree of guidance you, you want to, uh, you, you want to engage in, you want to automate the actual resolution, which, may have emerged as a result of this uh, kind of process of analysis that I spoke about. So when we think of AI, AI ops, in almost whatever context, we think it's, ultimately it's not one thing, right? It's these five different types of algorithms working in a choreographed sequence in the sense that the first thing you do is data selection, then the pattern discovery, then the causal analysis, then the collaboration, then the automation of the remediation. And all of that taken together is AI ops, right? Uh, right, right. 
And and I think an interesting, so I'll be your customer testimonial for just a second, uh, just to, because this has been awesome. It's been a great history lesson. It's really put it into context, the challenge that we face. And so now we, we let's just apply it to Rackspace. So Rackspace has 40 data centers around the world. We have um, hundreds of uh, thousands of servers and VMs that we look after for our customers in any given geography uh, or a summation of all the geographies. And because of utilizing the tool chain that you just mentioned, the algorithm chain that you just mentioned, we're able to um, we're able to automate the resolution of over sixty percent of all initiated tickets inside of Rackspace, wow. and that means that we are pulling together over a billion um, alerts, a billion data points on a monthly basis and turn it into extraordinarily actionable data. And what that does for us is it allows us to allow those systems to do what they do best. And it allows then what we call our rackers, our employees to focus on the super hard stuff. In some cases, that means taking a lot of what's discovered and being one of those resources, those collaborative resources that comes together to help solve a problem. In some cases, it's then taking that to the next level to design a new thing for our customers right. in their in their configuration because they may outgrown it or you know, any number of reasons. Um, and so it's an, ex- you know, you speak about it a little bit and rightly so in the abstract, but I wanted to put a tangible example of what that actually means in the real world across our 120,000 customers. No, absolutely. I mean, and, 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 and that's really important to do. Yeah. I can get lost in the, in the models, uh, and, and, and the, uh, and the abstract structures. Um, and, and, and it is true. I mean, uh, we have uh, close to you know 150 customers, and it's interesting that um, you know they, they really do come from all different corners of the economy, right? We have uh, you know customers like yourselves in in, in uh, you know cloud-based IT services. We have telecommunications customers, financial services customers, manufacturing, travel, and transport. I mean, it really really does span the range. I mean, I mean. AI ops is definitely not an industry-specific technology, although, of course, as your business becomes more digital, uh, it does, uh, you know, it, it does have to deal with that complexity. So the criticality of AI ops, an AI ops technology like MoveSoft, you know, it, that it grows precisely because you're dealing with a more complex environment. Uh, one of the things that's happened, which which I think is I mean, interesting, uh, also one could say certainly, uh, you know, kind of unfortunate, at least extremely challenging, has been the role that, um, uh, you know, our technology uh, has played uh, for a number of our customers, you know, going through the, uh, you know, incredible business, uh, you know, disruptions that came about as a result of the pandemic. Uh, because, I mean, truth be told that for many of our customers, particularly in the financial services area, and I'm thinking now of a couple of our customers uh, in financial services, one in North America, one uh, over here where I live uh, in the UK, uh, where, uh, you know, with, you know, with, with the pandemic and, and, its, uh, and its immediate consequences, uh, you, know, you know, had to almost overnight uh, change their way of running their network operating centers. Absolutely. 
you know, they were they were already on the path, I would say, at least conceptually, they were on the path towards virtualizing their network operating centers. I mean, this was, in fact, we had participated in some of their uh, kind of strategic planning, but this was definitely strategic planning, you know, looking five years out, you know, maybe even 10 years out, talking about, you know, completely virtualized network operating center that would be knit together by the AI, right? And suddenly (laughs) they found... Uh, Can we do it today, please? (laughs) They had to do it, right? They had to. They had to actually do this. But you know, I I do have to say, because they had already gone through the uh, the cultural change required and had begun to reshape, uh, you know, the the practices of the network operating center around that this this AI ops way of looking at things. Yeah, the transition. I mean, it was challenging in, in many, many ways, but they did find that uh, kind of this transition from, you know, the vast majority of people working in a central, you know, in a couple of centralized physical network operating centers, uh, you know, in a couple of places around the world to, you know, suddenly literally being kind of a, a scattered population that were all in a kind of digital communication with each other, you know, that transition itself was not as disruptive as they had feared and that, you know, many of the critical elements had already been put in place. So I think that, you know, when you look at, it's interesting that certainly the AI ops technology is in in some sense itself an answer to kind of disruption uh, in the you know on, on in the IT estate brought about by the cloud brought about by agile brought about by DevOps that it also has kind of in its in its in its attempt to deal with those issues it has ended up being something that has made you know other even more radical disruptions you could say on the business side on the human side on the economic side easier to navigate so it's just kind of yeah. a interesting real life story from uh you know two of our customers in this case in the financial services industry uh but i think you could say kind of similar things about uh you know customers in you know moonsoft customers in other industries as well yeah so pretty incredible um the way that that moonsoft has come in and seen that opportunity and and again, we're not necessarily thinking about how we replace individuals. We're thinking about how we give them the tooling to, to, to do the job that they have because the fundamental landscape has absolutely changed. Well, this has been a fascinating conversation today. Uh, one that I really want to um, continue on another uh, another time if we can. Uh, but but when we think about the space that you're filling right now with Moogsoft, the I know what you're doing for us here at Rackspace. I know what you're doing in other places, even just enabling that the how you handle monitoring in an agile fashion is just um, an enabler for for that technology and making it happen. So thanks so much for being a part of the program today. We really do appreciate it and look forward to having you back in the future. That's great. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed it. This has been Cloud Talk. You can find Cloud Talk wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And be sure to check out more content from Rackspace Solve at solve.rackspace.com. All aspects.
aspects of your IT strategy need to continue to evolve, not just where we place our infrastructure. And as that infrastructure becomes increasingly more complex, it becomes incumbent on us to use AIOps technology. As we've talked before, October is Cybersecurity Awareness Month. And if you haven't had a chance to listen to the global roundtable that we hosted here back on October 7th, I'd encourage you to go to solve.rackspace.com and click the link for the Solve Strategy Series. Our guest speaker for the event was Karen Elizari, and it was incredible. While you're there, you might consider registering for the next two events being held on November 12th and December 9th on the topics of cloud native enablement and data modernization. They're going to be incredible. Now, if you have any questions or comments about an episode or even an episode recommendation, just send us an email at cloudtalk at rackspace.com. Now, here's a preview of what's coming up in our next episode of Cloud Talk. Think about what what cyber actors are able to do, where I don't have to go into a bank. I don't have to worry about being, you know, shot or wounded, right? I can do this from a continent away just by getting access into your network. And like, I can sit there for months at a time to do reconnaissance uh, on your network, see how things are configured, see how I can move laterally throughout your network, identify accounts that I want to gain access to. And then when when I'm stealing money, I'm not just you know getting twenty five hundred dollars. You know I'm stealing potentially you know hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of dollars at a time. And that's next time on Cloud Talk. <laughs>